The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Saturday, November 14th, 2020. On this day in 1881, Charles J. Guiteau's trial for the assassination of U.S. President James Garfield began. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Today, we're covering the preposterous court proceedings that followed Charles Guiteau's assassination of U.S. President James Garfield, becoming the first high-profile case where the insanity plea was seriously considered. Let's go back to Washington, D.C. on the morning of November 14, 1881. The press and curious onlookers gathered outside the U.S. Supreme Court as Charles Guiteau was escorted from a carriage into the courtroom. When he entered, the prospective jurors whispered amongst themselves. This was no run-of-the-mill case. About five months earlier, Guiteau had fatally shot President James Garfield. And though Guiteau was innocent until proven guilty, the American public had already decided otherwise. Now it was simply a matter of convicting him. But Guiteau was confident in his innocence. He believed that he had done what was right for the country. Guiteau arrived at the trial with extensively written pages on how he planned to save the Republic moving forward. Without wasting a moment, he eagerly handed them to nearby journalists, insisting they publish his brilliant prose. Then he turned to face the judge, Justice Walter Cox. Despite the pressure Cox was under to ensure a guilty verdict, he was determined to give Guiteau a fair trial. While America may have wanted to send the assassin straight to the gallows, Cox was willing to weather the storm of criticisms that he was being too kind to a killer. However, Guiteau wasn't making it easy on him. The assassin was so confident in his case, he rejected the lawyer that the court had granted him. Despite this, Guiteau was forcibly represented by attorneys Lee Robinson and George Scoville. But before Robinson and Scoville could begin with Guiteau's defense, the prospective jurors were questioned. Given the intense political uproar surrounding the case, many deemed themselves unable to remain impartial. Eventually, after a round of 175 people were interviewed, the jury was narrowed down to 12 men. But the fraught juror selection was only the beginning of problems that arose during the spectacle that was Charles Guiteau's trial. For Guiteau's defense, attorney Lee Robinson claimed his client was suffering from insanity and was therefore not of sound mind when he shot President Garfield. But Guiteau rejected this. At the start of his trial, Guiteau insisted that he'd known exactly what he was doing when he shot the president. 
However, he later seemed to come around to his lawyer's strategy. Eventually, he claimed he'd temporarily been convinced by God to kill President Garfield. It remains unclear whether this shift in arguments was representative of Guiteau's revelation that he'd incriminated himself, or if he actually was insane. Whatever the reason, the prosecution shot down any claims about Guiteau's mental health. They believed that Guiteau's history of unsound moral judgments revealed his sinister character. With the insanity defense unlikely to succeed, Guiteau's team tried to argue that he hadn't actually killed the president at all because Garfield didn't die for another two months following the shooting. The defense blamed Garfield's attending doctors for poorly tending to the wounds. And while this counterclaim may seem like a stretch, the court certainly considered it. They met for weeks on end, inviting testimony from eyewitnesses and those who had experienced the brunt of Guiteau's madness. But finally, two months after the trial began, in January 1882, the jury reached a verdict. Guilty. Coming up, the context surrounding President Garfield's assassination. Hi, listeners. To celebrate our favorite month, Parcast Network is releasing a slate of new shows leaning into all things spooky and spine-tingling. And now we're bringing you an original series called Superstitions, featuring the origins and impacts of our most unusual beliefs and the stories of those who dare to defy them. Every week on Superstitions, hear a new drama that illustrates the eeriness and unlocks the mysteries of humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Like holding your breath while passing a cemetery so you don't wake the dead and make them jealous, or carrying the foot of an animal known to have an evil eye, or using iron to keep away the devil. They may seem mystical or even completely illogical, but one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of spooky October programming to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, The gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In order to appreciate the sheer magnitude of Charles Gateau's trial, it's important to understand the bizarre string of events that led up to it. It all began a year before, in 1880, when Gateau attempted to involve himself with rising leaders of the Republican Party. He wrote countless letters to President Garfield before he took office, and then profusely claimed that he was responsible for Garfield's presidential win. In exchange for his perceived services, Guiteau sent letters to Garfield's Secretary of State, James Blaine, demanding that he work in glamorous offices abroad to represent the U.S. 
Naturally, Blaine never responded. When Gateau caught Blaine in public at a gathering, he was disappointed to learn that Blaine didn't want him anywhere near America's political offices, domestic or abroad. As far as Blaine was concerned, Gateau was a lunatic. As soon as Gateau was rejected by Blaine, he decided that President Garfield wasn't at all the man he claimed to be. He promptly purchased a 44 caliber five-chamber revolver and waited for a good moment to strike. Shortly thereafter, he shot two bullets into Garfield. It wasn't long before Gateau was in police custody, insisting that he would soon become the next president of the United States. But perhaps even more perplexing than Gateau's warped logic was his convoluted court trial that lasted from November 1881 to January 1882. And while its complexities left the public fuming that Gateau wasn't hit with a verdict sooner, it did seem to evoke interesting questions. For one thing, people wondered what grounds could justify an insanity plea in court. Guiteau certainly seemed insane, in addition to his claim that he had experienced a revelation from God instructing him to kill President Garfield. He cussed at people at his trial and passed notes to others requesting their advice. Yet none of this was able to effectively convince the jury that Guiteau acted on insanity alone. They saw within him an evil that had taken the nation's leader, and Guiteau's preposterous assertions only seemed to increase their concern that the man would ever walk free again. As evidence of the danger Guiteau posed, witness William T. Sherman, the famed Union military commander, acknowledged that a concerning letter from Guiteau had been addressed to him requesting the mobilization of his troops. On the day of the assassination, Gateau set aside the letter for Sherman just moments before he shot Garfield. The letter read, I have just shot the president. I shot him several times as I wished him to go as easily as possible. His death was a political necessity. I am a lawyer, theologian, and politician. I am going to the jail. Please order out your troops and take possession of the jail at once. Terrified, Sherman sent troops. Guiteau had somehow convinced one of the country's leading military commanders that his request should be honored. And the jurors, again, questioned whether someone with such great capacity to convince a prominent figure could be deemed insane. In the end, they never arrived at a clear opinion there, but they did decide that Guiteau was guilty, and Judge Cox promptly sentenced him to death. From outside the courthouse, as the news reached the public, the American people heaved a sigh of relief. The president's murderer would be brought to justice. Five months later, on June 30th, 1882, Charles Guiteau, was hanged. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more on President Garfield's assassination, check out the Spotify original, Assassinations. 
Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Lauren DeLille, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Remember to follow Superstitions for new episodes featuring our most unusual beliefs. Are they side effects of ancient folklore or truly the masters of our fates? Look closely and examine the writing on the wall. Superstitions airs every Wednesday, free on Spotify.